0: All right, Isaiah 39 in your Bibles, and let's look at, uh, we're going to read the entire chapter. There's eight verses here. We're going to read the entire chapter, and then we're going to get into the introduction and into the message. The Bible says at the time, all right, I've been anticipating this all day. we got this very complicated name, all right? Here it is, at that time, Merodach Baladan, how'd I do? Merodach Baladan, I get it? All right, none of you know, all right? Well, we're going to pretend that I nailed it, all right? Merodach Baladan, the son of uh, Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. And Hezekiah was glad of them and showed them the house of his precious things, the silver and uh, the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto king Hezekiah, and said unto him, What said these men, and from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Then said he, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All that is in my house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house, and that which thy fathers have laid up in store, unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. Well, let's pray this evening, and we're going to look at this Bible study topic, The Many Tactics of Satan. Let's pray. God, help us tonight as we look closely At the Bible here, we dig under the surface and we see what's really going on in this passage. Satan is so subtle in how he comes at us that oftentimes we land in his trap, his snare, and we don't even realize it. We don't even understand that we're there. God, help us tonight to understand the Bible. Lord, give us liberty. Give us freedom. Lord, give us escape from Satan. Help us to be wise enough and and, uh, circumspect enough to see where he's at work in our lives and and God, look to attack those things and remove them. Lord, all of us here tonight are tired. It's after 7 o'clock in the evening. And many of us have worked all day. And our minds and bodies are, are uh, nearing the end of our body clock schedule. Spirit of God, we need your strength and and mind uh, to be able to, to get from the Bible what you have. So, Lord, strengthen us. Renew us through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So... The story here, 38 and 39 fall time-wise before 37, uh, the 30, us see, uh, 30, yes, chapters 38 and 39 historically land, chronologically land prior to chapters 36 and 37. Why did God put them in the Bible in this order? Because there's a narrative being told here that doesn't necessarily fit the timeline. But understand, the Assyrian army has not yet gathered outside the wall. They are... They are taking over Judah, but they've not yet made it to Jerusalem. And so understand, historically, what's happening, okay? Hezekiah is fearful that Assyria is going to come in and take over. He's fearful, but he's not yet certain that it's going to happen. And he's not yet sure how the deliverance is going to come about, if there's going to be deliverance. He's been sick. We saw that last week. He's been sick. Isaiah came in and told him he was going to die. And then as Isaiah's leaving, he calls out to God. He says, Lord, please give me my life back. Give me more life. And God grants him 15 more years of life to live. Shortly after he's healed, uh, Babylon, who's just this little tiny country at the time of this writing, this is a little more than 100 years prior to Babylon conquering Israel, at the time of this event, Babylon is just a little insignificant country on the world scene. Babylon is not some great kingdom like they'll become. They're just some little tiny country. Assyria is the large country. Babylon, are you all with me tonight? This is important. You understand? Have you ever watched a movie and then you know they they lay it out slow and then boom, the action happens. And that family member of yours who likes to sleep during movies wakes up when the action hits and they say, what, "What's going on? Well, what's happening? What's the narrative?" And you look at them and say, "Well, if you'd have been not been sleeping but watching." How many know I'm talking about? How many of you are that person that sleeps? Be honest. Uh huh. That's my wife. I got to always explain to her when we watch movies what's going on. So stay awake on me, okay? I'm going to get to the part where I keep your attention on my own. I need you to pay attention on purpose right now, okay? Babylon's a little country. Assyria's a big country. Uh, he gets better. Hezekiah gets better. And Babylon, for strategic purposes, we'll get into that in a moment. They send a convoy of ambassadors into Israel, into Jerusalem, in order to um, send some sort of a, hey, we're glad you're better uh, gift to to Hezekiah. And what does Hezekiah do? He receives them. He's glad he's they're there. He opens up his kingdom. He shows them all of his private wealth. He shows them everything he has, and he sends them down the road. Well, lo and behold. Just as this uh, team of ambassadors is leaving the palace, probably as they're walking out of the palace and passing each other, everybody look at here, and just as they're passing each other, Isaiah comes walking in the palace as the Babylonian ambassadors are leaving the palace, and Isaiah says to uh, uh, Hezekiah, he says, who are those guys that just left the palace? And he says, well, uh, they're from Babylon. He said, well, what did you show them? He said, well, I showed them everything. Oh, what do you mean by everything? I mean, I showed them everything. I showed them the gold. I showed them the silver. I showed them all the ointments and spices. I showed them all of my wealth, all of it. There was nothing in the kingdom, as far as my wealth, that I did not show them. And, and Isaiah looks at Hezekiah and says, this is the first time this is prophesied in the Bible. Isaiah looks at Hezekiah and says, there's going to be a day where Babylon becomes a great nation, and everything that you showed them, they take from you. They take and they're going to carry your sons into captivity and make them eunuchs in the palace in Babylon. Now, that's quite a prediction. A hundred and three years ahead of time. Can anyone really know what's going to happen in a hundred and three years from now? No. I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow, right? There have been days I wake up in the morning and I say to the Lord, in fact, this is most days. Most days, I ought to pray this every day, but most days I wake up in the morning... And I tell the Lord, I don't know what is awaiting in my day. I don't know what kind of phone call I'm going to get or what kind of hard news I'm going to get. I need your wisdom and strength to make it through today. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You had a day just take a, a 90 degree turn on you, right out of the blue? It, it's hard to know what's coming tomorrow, much less 103 years from now. And Isaiah predicted with great accuracy, as we'll see through the Bible study this week and probably next week. It's going to take us two weeks to get through these eight verses. God showed Isaiah, uh, through uh, prophecy, exactly what was going to come to pass. We look at the many tactics of Satan. Satan was at work in the background, taking advantage of Hezekiah in a time of crises, in a time of weakness. Now, we're going to look at some verses here in the Bible, and I'm going to talk about Satan in the beginning, and then I'm going to show you where Satan is in our passage here in a few minutes, because he's hiding just below the surface. Let me begin by saying that Satan is a spirit and can take on many different forms in order to accomplish his desires. Satan is a spirit, and so he does not have a fleshly form, but as a spirit he can possess things that have fleshly form and and take on that appearance. All right, let me give you some examples here. Turn over to Second Corinthians chapter eleven and verse fourteen. And we're going to look at three descriptors. This, this list is not complete, okay? But three descriptors of Satan. First, notice that he is Lucifer. He is Lucifer. He is an angel of light. He can take on the appearance as being an angel of light. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 11 and turn and look at verse number 14. We're going to use our Bibles quite a bit tonight, so have them out. And please, turn to the passages with me and and let's see what the Scripture says. The Bible says... In fact, I'm going to have some of you read. Some of you men in here, I'm going to have you read, alright? Anybody in here not comfortable having me have them read? Alright, anybody else? You'd rather me not call on you. Let me know now, otherwise I'm going to call on you, alright? Hold it up there, okay? Did you raise your hand? Okay. Alright, Sean, why don't you stand and read 2 Corinthians 11:14 for us. See where it says transformed? He's transformed. Into an angel of light, he can take on the appearance of an angel of light. Uh, he's Lucifer. He's Lucifer. We know in heaven he was this angel of light, right? Uh, before he was thrown out of heaven, he was that angel of light. He was given a body that was made of uh, uh, instruments, and 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 that was the spirit that that uh, that flesh took on at that time. Uh, he's described as an angel of light. However, he's also described as a serpent. Turn over to Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis comes right after the book of Concordance. So if you don't know where Genesis is, go to the very front. It's the first book of the Bible, all right? Miss Callie, you got it? You know where that is? You know where the book? Okay, good. Miss Callie grew up in church. She knows where Genesis is. Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 1. We're going to come back to this passage later uh, if we make it there tonight, so feel free to stick a marker there if you'd like. Brother Manny, why don't you read Genesis 3 verse 1 for us? So Satan came down and he possessed, through his spirit, he possessed a serpent. And here we see that he is a subtle beast of the field. So he's gone from being an angel of light to a subtle beast of the field. But this is not the only way that he's described in the Bible. How about 1 Peter 5, 8? He's described as a lion. A lion. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at me at verse number 8. He's a lion. He walks about seeking to devour. He seeks to devour. He wants to destroy. He wants to eat you. He wants to clean your clock. Right? He doesn't just want to be a subtle serpent. Brother Ordonius, can you read that for us? Okay, now this is important. I'm laying a foundation for the Bible study. But we see that he's described in Scripture as a spirit who takes on the form of an angel of light, a subtle beast of the field, and a lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. What are Satan's behaviors? We've looked at his description. Let's take a moment. Let's look at his behaviors. We see, first of all, he is the tempter. He is the tempter. Matthew chapter 4. Turn over to Matthew chapter 4. And let's look at the first three verses. And here we see he's described as a tempter, and he's going after Jesus Christ himself. He's going after the Son of God. He's going after God robed in flesh, Matthew 4. And there is no trophy Satan won't set his sights on and go after. You think, well, I'm so spiritual Satan has decided to leave me alone. You are lying to yourself. If Satan would go after Jesus, then Satan will go after anybody. Matthew 4. Brother Josh, can you stand and read the first three verses for us? So he, the Bible calls him, in this passage, it says... He is the tempter. Verse 3, And when the tempter came to him. So Satan, his behavior is that he tempts us. How many of you today were tempted to do wrong by the devil? Be honest. Raise your hand. My hand's up. Okay. All right. I was tempted today to do wrong. I won't say how because I'm transparent, but I don't want to be that transparent. Amen? But we were all tempted today to do wrong, weren't we? And uh, if you went today and you weren't tempted to do wrong, then you were probably asleep the whole day. That's about the only way to avoid the temptation of Satan. That's what he does. He tempts us to do that which is not good for ourselves. Uh, Next we see that he is a deceiver. Turn over to Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 10. Revelation chapter 20. This is a happy verse because Satan loses and he's thrown into hell. Amen. This is the end. This is the end of the. This is the very, very, very end of the narrative. This is coming one day. Brother Chad, can you read that verse for us? So the Bible tells us here Satan's going to be thrown into hell and he's going to be tormented day and night. And uh, that, and, and it will never end. But notice the beginning of the verse says that he, uh, he, he is the deceiver, the devil that deceived them. Uh, have you ever thought one thing, only to realize you were completely wrong? You ever been in a place where you you were just certain of something, and come to find out when when, when you got the right set of facts, there was like. Like an illusion going on right in front of you, right? You were certain of something only to find out, man, I, I couldn't have been more wrong. Satan is great at leading us to believe one thing while all along he's deceiving us. He has us hoodwinked. Um, and so he is the deceiver. If you've been deceived, Satan is at the forefront of that. How about this one? Number three. He is the father of lies. And this is, this would be akin to being a deceiver, but turn over to John chapter eight. And verse number 44, John 8, verse 44. Brother Syrett, when you have that, you can start reading for us. You're in the back, so read nice and loud. Those deacons don't know their Bible very well. you got to pray for them. they got to figure it out. He's a liar, a liar, and the father of it. And we could add to this list, he is a murderer, right? Uh, the, the Bible says right there in verse uh, 44 that uh, he is a murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning. He is a father of all lies. If you've ever been lied to or been involved in lying, which is all of us, you are participating in something that is satanic he is the father of all lies. Let's look at one more descriptor here as we're laying the groundwork for our Bible study. Number four, he is a destroyer of life. He is a destroyer of life. We're in John 8. Turn over to John 10. It should just be a page or two over in your Bible, depending on which one you have. John 10, and look at verse number 10. John 10, verse 10. Brother Fred, you want to read that for us? So while Satan's name is not used here, he is implied. He's a thief. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I've said this many times. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your body. And he wants to destroy your soul. That's what he wants. Satan's goal in life is death. I'm just going to slip this in right here right quick. And we're going to get right into point one of the outline. Um, Anything, listen up now, Christians get drawn into these, cultural battles, these political battles. There's an overarching question you ought to ask yourself anytime you read a news article or anytime you see a cultural war, anytime you see anything along these lines. Look, listen, don't pick where you stand based on an elephant or a donkey. All right, Republican, Democrat. Don't pick where you stand based on that. Ask this overarching question. Does this support a culture of life? or a culture of death. Satan is the author of death. He's the destroyer of life. Jesus is the author of life. He said, I have come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. I want to give you life. So, when you go to take a stand on a cultural question, is this destruction of life, or is this promotion of life? He's a destroyer of life. Now that we understand and it's been articulated who Satan is, let's get into Isaiah 39 and let's see how all this comes into play in our passage. All right, number one, notice Babylon's plot. Babylon's plot. Look with me at chapter 39. Go back to our our principal text, chapter 39, and look with me at verse number one. Give me a minute to get there. Here it goes. At that time, Merodach uh, Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. Seems innocent enough, right? I mean, hey, this guy heard Hezekiah was sick. Pastor, nowhere in this verse does it say that um, the king of Babylon had ill intentions. He sent a letter, a get-well letter, and a gift. Pastor, where do you see Satan in this verse? Well, Babylon in the Bible is a symbol of the kingdom of Satan. All right, let me show you. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 14. Look at Isaiah chapter 14 and look at verse number 4. We looked at this several months back, Isaiah 14. And we see here the Bible even tells us who the, um, uh, the king of Babylon is, all right? Look at verse 4, and then it's, uh, the thought continues down for the sake, sake of time. We're going to read verse 4, then we're going to look at verse uh, 12. The Bible says in verse 4, thou, that Thou shalt take up this proverb against who? The king of Babylon. The king of Babylon. And say, How hath the oppressor ceased? The golden city ceased. Now, again, when this was written, Babylon was an insignificant nation in the world. Babylon was not a key political player. They they didn't matter. They had no pull or political clout. All right. But God knew and told Isaiah to pen this truth that one day Isaiah, or rather Babylon, will be the the major kingdom in the world, and we even see prophecies about a new Babylon in the Book of Revelation, which represents the economical structure of the Antichrist. And so, who is the king of Babylon? We get our answer in verse twelve. Look at verse twelve, and here is the proverb written against the king of Babylon. Here we get a name. Look at verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? There's the king of Babylon, son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yea, thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit, this is the account of you know, Lucifer in heaven when he 's trying to overthrow God, and he and one third of all the angels are kicked out of heaven and sent to earth to become the devil and his uh, uh, his demons and so here we have the king of Babylon being Lucifer himself. so go back to isaiah thirty nine verse one and we see that uh, Babylon sends a an envoy of ambassadors into Israel to check up on them. And what we really get is we have, uh, we have quite a problem here. Uh, we have a man who is um, up to no good. Uh, look at letter A. Notice, speaking of Babylon's plot, notice their sympathy. Their sympathy. I asked you to put a marker in your Bible in Genesis 3. A moment ago, I'm going to have you turn back over to Genesis 3. Again, verse 1 tells us of Isaiah 39. While you're making your way over there, it says, King of Babylon sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. So here he is sending letters. How many of you have been watching the news long enough to know that uh, every action of a politician, no matter how good or innocent it is, should be scrutinized for an ulterior motive? How many of you figured that out by now? I don't care if it's a local politician. I don't care if it's a not federal politician. Some of you are like, what? I need to do that? Yes. Listen, I'm not saying everything politicians do uh, is with an ulterior motive, but about 99% of what most politicians do is done with an ulterior motive in mind. Why is Babylon sending letters and a gift to Hezekiah? Is it just because he was a nice guy? I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. I'm going to show you that in a minute here. Uh, You have to keep your spiritual guard up because Satan is always looking to get in and pull you down. Genesis 3, 1 through 6, we're going to start back over here. Brother Sean, why don't you read those six verses for us? And now we have a a humanity who is extremely sinful. Why? Why? Because Satan has been able to deceive them, he's been able to pull them down. All right, everybody look up here. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying here. Um, Satan came along with Eve in the form of a serpent. And you say, well,. Well, shouldn't have she been afraid of the snake? No, at this point, women were not afraid of snakes because of the story. Now, most folks are afraid of snakes. Snakes have become a scary animal, but here, snakes were not a scary animal. And she slithers up to Eve or walks up to Eve probably and has a conversation with her because back then animals and humans could speak to each other. And, and what does Satan do? Watch, watch the pattern here. Listen up. Watch the pattern here. First, he questions the truth. He questions the truth. Then, he tells a bold-faced lie. That's the pattern. And then, third, he mixes the lie with truth. He mixes the lie with truth. He questions the truth, and then he tells a bold-faced lie, and then he mixes truth with error, truth with lie. And that's exactly what he did here. Satan is always at work in the background. Now, I want you to write this quote down. Uh, because I think this will really help some of you to understand how Satan works. If Satan cannot devour you as a roaring lion, then he will deceive you as a subtle serpent. If Satan cannot devour you as a roaring lion, then he will deceive you as a subtle serpent. Sometimes I think we're looking for Satan to be this big, mean, ugly character with horns and a tail, and a pitchfork and the color red, and he's just going to come along, and he's going to jump out of the closet and scare us and then stick us with his pitchfork and drag us to hell. My friend, listen, Satan is, yes, he is a roaring lion, and if he has a chance, he will devour you. But listen, if Satan can't get you that way, he's going to get you another way. We see in the life of Hezekiah, we see Satan wearing both fronts. He comes at Hezekiah as a roaring lion through the Assyrian army in Sennacherib. But then he slithers into the palace in the form of a snake in the persons of the ambassadors of Babylon. He's getting to Hezekiah any way he can. You must keep your guard up against the devil. Because he's going to come at you any way he can. He's out front of the gate. Uh, uh, making threats and, and being a, a, a bold-faced jerk and, and, and speaking in the Hebrew tongue and with Sennacherib and Rabshakeh outside with the Assyrian army. But then he slithers in and he slips a letter into the hand of the king and says, hey, heard you were sick. Hope you're feeling better. Here's some gifts for you. Letter A, Satan will play the sympathy card, their sympathy. But notice letter B, their spies They're spies. They weren't just showing sympathy. There was a reason why they wanted in the palace. They wanted to see the wealth that Hezekiah had. Look at verse 2 of Isaiah 39. Look at verse 2. And Hezekiah was glad of them. All right, let me pause you right there. Hezekiah is feeling very lonely. Okay? Very lonely. He has no friends Around him. He's the southern two tribes, right? Okay, Judah and Benjamin. He's the king over these two tribes. They're a split off of the ten northern tribes. He is not getting along with the king of the ten northern tribes. They are enemies. He's tried to make friends with Egypt, but they took his money and ran. Okay? He's tried to send a money to Assyria, but that's not working. The Assyrians are marching through. He feels isolated. He feels alone. And lo and behold, here comes the king of Babylon with some gifts and a letter and says, hey, I'll be your friend. And you know what he does? He hops at the opportunity. One of the things that said, and I meant to make this point under letter A, but all the same, here it comes. One of the things that Satan is very good at is using acceptance to pull people into deep sin. Acceptance. He's doing this to our teenagers all the time. Right? He says, hey, you know what? Uh, You're making some choices and people at church are preaching truth and you don't feel like you fit at church. But come on over here. I'll put my arm around your shoulder and, and listen, we'll accept you just the way you are. You come over here and live like us. Is using acceptance to be that subtle serpent, to pull you aside. Satan wants nothing more than to lull you to sleep and then choke you out like a constrictor snake and swallow you whole. That's what he wants. He will use acceptance all day long. You can't get acceptance because you don't want to change your lifestyle but yet you can go down and hang out at a nightclub. You can hang out at some uh, party. You go be uh, with some friends that you know aren't good for you. They'll accept you. Satan's just trying to get in. He's trying to spy on you. He's trying to take you out. The Bible says in verse 2, Hezekiah was glad of them. He's lonely. He's vulnerable. He's lonely. And showed them the house of his precious things. The silver and his gold and the spices. And the precious ointment and the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasure, for there was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. There are some professions out there, work professions, where folks do really good at listening. A lot of barbers, hairstylists, they're good at listening. And I was talking to my barber a couple months back and she said, my goodness, the things people come in here and tell me, she said, I have learned how to listen. And she said, I'm nice to people. And when I'm nice to people and I ask them some questions about themselves and I get them talking, she said, they open up and tell me some things that are incredibly intimate and private. Incredibly intimate and private. They just open right up. And the more lonely someone seems to be and the more accepting you are of them, the more likely they are going to open up and just share what's in their heart. And here Hezekiah he opens up his palace and he shows way more than he should have he showed off all of his wealth he showed every there was no corner of that palace he did not show off what was the real reason why the king of babylon sent these diplomats it was not because he just wanted to give him a gift and see how he was doing oh no he sent them in there to spy and spy they did they saw it all babylon's Plot. Number two, Hezekiah's pride. Hezekiah's pride. Now, you may say, well, Pastor, I've not seen Hezekiah's pride from this passage. Turn over to 2 Chronicles 32, and we're going to get another perspective of Hezekiah's pride from another passage of Scripture that gives us more detail of this story. 2 Chronicles chapter 32, and turn over to verse number 24. Second Chronicles 32 verse 24. And we're going to read down through verse number 31. Brother Manny, could you stand and read those verses for us? 24 down through 31. So we see, go back to verse 24, or rather verse 25. The Bible says, But Hezekiah, rendered not again according to the benefit done in him, for his heart was lifted up. Here's where we find his pride. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. His heart was lifted up. Isn't this amazing? He turned to God in prayer and said, Please give me 15 more years of life. God gives him the 15 years of life. He turns from God and lives in pride. He lives in pride. God gives him a new lease on life, and instead of praising God, he lifts himself up in pride, and God uh, is not pleased with that, and so God still blesses him and benefits him, but then we find that in his pride, boy, God backs away and says, alright, let me see if you can get this right. Letter A, we see his vulnerability. Look back at verse 31 of Second Chronicles 32. Look look back at verse 31. Pay very close attention to what this verse says. How be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon. all right, here's a test. Who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in his land. Look here. Look at these next three words. God left him. Now that does not mean God deserted him. That means God backed away from him to see how he would handle it. God left him. That he might know all that was in his heart. That God might prove all that was in his heart. Listen, sometimes when I, with my kids, I give them very clear instructions and then I back away to see if they can get it right on their own. That's what's going on here. God's not deserted him. He's backed away and said, Alright, Hezekiah, here's a test. Let's see if you can do this. Did Hezekiah pass the test? No, he did not. Hezekiah made a choice to do great things for God, Satan decided to attack Hezekiah because of his stand. Now, um, here's what I want you to understand this evening, is that when you attempt to live for God, Satan is going to ratchet up his attack on you. You listening tonight? You make a decision, I'm going to start going to church faithful, you're going to face opposition. You decide, I'm going to start giving X amount of dollars to the church, you're going to face financial hardship. You decide, uh, I'm going to cut off these friends because they're holding me back from being who I ought to be. Uh, You're going to end up feeling socially like a reject. Right on the heels of that. You decide, I'm going through emotional tumult and I'm going to give my heart to the Lord and I'm going to ask Him to settle emotion. God is going, or rather Satan is going to bring a storm of problems in your life to test you and God's going to back away from you and see if you can pass that test. The question comes, who are who really are you when it comes to your faith? And I'm going to tell you how to find out who you are. How you respond in times of crisis is who you really are. Why did God allow crisis in Hezekiah's life? It was a revealing moment. I see from what we've studied out of the life of Hezekiah here in the middle of Isaiah, I see three crises that he faced. You can jot these down. They'll be on the screen. He faced an invasion crisis. chapter 36 and 37. We looked at that. He faced an invasion crisis, right? The enemy is that roaring lion on the outside of the gate, pressing in and challenging him. Uh, we see he faced an illness crisis, right? Chapter 38. He had the, the boils on his body. He was sick, nigh, to death. And then now with Babylon, he's facing an investigation crisis. Who are you during times of crisis? I could take a, a cup that you can't see through, right? A tall tumbler. And I could set it right here. And I could have the outside of that tumbler looking so nice and clean and pretty everybody looks at it and says, man, that is a fine-looking cup. And then I come along and I shake. And all of a sudden, if there's water in there, that comes spilling out. And everyone goes, oh, the inside of the cup is just as clean as the outside of the cup. But I could also do that and toxic mud water comes falling out. And now all of a sudden everyone knows, don't drink out of that cup. It may look good on the outside. Boy, it isn't so good on the inside. Listen, you can come to church and even at home be like, I've got it all together. But you know what? When life comes and bumps you, what's on the inside is going to be on the outside. And then you know who you really are. And here Hezekiah's faith was not strong because he caved and he did the wrong thing. We see his vulnerability. Next Notice his vanity. His vanity. Go back to Isaiah 39. Look at verse 32. 39 rather verse 2. There is no 32. 39 verse 2. The Bible says that Hezekiah was glad of them and showed them the house of the precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasure. That was, There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah showed them not. Look down at verse 4. Then said he, what have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, look here, all that is in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Uh, sh- shoot them. Can you see the pride here of Hezekiah? He's got all this wealth and he's showing it all off. Uh, listen, uh, we put too much stock in things that just really don't matter. Turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes 2, and look with me at verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 8, and then we're going to look at verse 11. Ecclesiastes 2. Here we have the great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Hezekiah, King Solomon, David's son, and I don't know how many greats fit there. I'm just just throwing out a random amount there. But way back, dad, of, um, a, forefather of uh, a forefather of Hezekiah was Solomon. Solomon was worth well over a trillion dollars, One of only seven or eight people to ever be worth that much money in the history of mankind. Worth well over a trillion dollars. And here, let's see what Solomon has to say about wealth. Look at verse 1. I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold that this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, or silliness. And of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine. Yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, uh, till I might see what was that good for the son of men, uh, which they should do under that heaven all the days of their life. If I can sum up verse three, he said, I tried the party life, and it was a waste of time. Verse four, I made me great works; I built in me houses, I planted in me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees and them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of waters to water there with the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house, and I also had, had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered also I mean also, silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings and the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men his musical instruments and that of all sorts. He said, there's nothing I haven't tried. He said, I've had the nicest houses. I've had all the landscape. He said, I've had swimming pools and more swimming pools and more swimming pools. He said, I even had a, a, an army of a choir of men and women singers who would sing on man. He said, I even went and collected things that were peculiar treasures that only kings could get their hands on. Look down at verse 11. Look down at verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labor to do. And behold, all was vain. All was vanity. All was emptiness. All was a waste of time. All was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. I did not gain anything by having all this wealth. Here these kings come and what does Hezekiah do? He opens his heart and says, look how great I am. Now, I just want to say this here before we move on to letter C. Hezekiah, you did not Accrue all that wealth. There were kings before you that helped save up that money. All that money that sits in your palace is a gift from God to you, not to be showed off and bragged about. Hey, let's be careful about flashing our wealth. You listen up here tonight. Don't you be concerned with letting everyone know how wealthy you are. All right, these these, these, these this ostentatious type dressing. And the wearing of fancy watches and and the showing off of how much wealth I have, that doesn't please the Lord, all right? Any wealth that you have, God gave that to you. And you need to please Him with it. Letter C, lastly, and this is where we really get into the meat of what I want to share tonight, we see His vindication. You remember when, uh, there's a handful of times when God sends a prophet or a preacher into the presence of someone who's doing wrong and confronts them. All right, I think of um, I think of uh, Saul when Samuel showed up and he says, "Lo, what is that bleeding in the sheep?" I hear. You remember the story? Okay, everybody okay tonight? Everybody all right? Smile real big if you're okay. All right, everybody all right? Okay. the bleeding of the sheep I hear right? And then you have Nathan who comes walking in the palace after David had had the affair and committed the murder, and he says, Thou art the man. This is another one of those moments where God sends a preacher or a prophet into the presence of someone who just did something wrong to confront them on it. Look at verse 3. Then came Isaiah the prophet. We're in Isaiah 39. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? I love the open-ended question. And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, I have this underlined in my Bible. They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. His vindication. Notice, first of all, his vindication. He said Babylon is a little country. Babylon is a little country. He says they come from Babylon. And at the time, as I said earlier, Babylon had zero political clout. There were no threat. Take your Bibles over to Song of Solomon. It's just one book to the left. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. We're almost done here. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. And look at verse 15. Brother the Ordonez, when you arrive there, would you stand and read that for me? Take up the foxes. The little foxes. What do they do? They spoil the vine. The little foxes. The little foxes. It's not the big foxes. Little at a time. You know what lie we tell ourselves about sin? About pride? It's just a little sin. It's just a little sin. You know what little sins turn into? They turn into big problems. Little sins destroy us over a long period of time. Little sins destroy us over a long period of time. Here he says, Babylon is a little country. And Isaiah says, well, hold on a minute here. That little country is going to become a big country and is going to devour you. You see, the slippery serpent turns into the roaring lion. That's what happens here. The little fox has spoiled the vine. If you do not deal with sin in your life when it is little, it will devour you once once it grows up. You have to deal with it in its onset, in its early stages. Next, notice Babylon, Hezekiah says, he's vindicating himself. Babylon is a long ways away, a long ways away. Look back at uh, Isaiah 39 and look back at verse 4. They are come from a far country, a far country. Now, we're going to dive into this deeper next week. But when we say, hey, that's a long ways off in the distance, it's just not a big deal, it's not really a problem, hey, that's down the road. I can make this mistake and the consequences are down the road and I'll worry about those when they get here. Um, My friend, it's going to get here a lot sooner than you think. We're going to look at the story of Joshua and the Gibeonites out of Joshua 9 next week, and we're going to see how that actually sin isn't as far away as we think it is. And so we can't let ourselves fall for that. Well, some of you in here look like you're dead to the world and ready to sleep on me. And that you just endured the worst uh, teaching of your life. Thank you for your encouraging faces. You've been so kind and and I appreciate that. Hey, listen, if y'all didn't get anything out of it, God helped me greatly in studying for this. So I hope it was a help to you. And I hope you get some rest when you get home. Some of you look like you really need it. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to pray and go forth and serve the Lord this week. Don't let the little foxes spoil the vine. Be aware of Satan and his many tactics this week, and don't let him get you. Don't let him be that roaring lion or that slippery serpent. Keep your eyes open and and stay true to the Lord. Well, let's pray. We're going to go forth and serve God tonight. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Help us, Lord, to be recharged by it. Lord, thank you for uh, what we've heard. Help us to put it into practice. Be with us this week. Bring us back here safely on Sunday to worship you in Jesus' name.